through the Bible, and so we're on Second Thessalonians. I'm glad to be back there. And as you turn in there, just have one more announcement that Pat wanted me to pass on. Uh, the uh, new Trinity Bible Fellowship uh, webpage, I think it's trinitybiblefellowship.org. TrinityBibleFellowship.org. If you'd like to donate online, a lot of people have expressed real difficulties in trying to figure out how to donate without, you know, doing it electronically and online. Just go to TrinityBibleFellowship.org and then you just hit the donate button and then follow the prompts. Now, if you want to know what a prompt is, talk to Pat. I don't even know what a prompt is. I'm just, I'm just the messenger here. So, I'm I'm not a tech guy. Okay, so Second Thessalonians, and um, we'll uh, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Father in Jesus' precious name, it's just so beautiful for God's people to come together, and um, our faith is starting to cost us now. It's like it's almost impossible to be a Christian and still be popular, and uh, Christians are starting to get canceled and losing their jobs and things of that sort. So I just thank you, Lord, that it, when our faith costs us something, it it separates the the men from the boys, the true believers from the pretenders. And so I thank you, Lord, that your people are here today and in other churches throughout the country and throughout the world. It's a beautiful thing to come together. Praise the triune God of scriptures. Lord, uh, those that are here today, they came to hear your word preached. They did not come to hear the, the faulty wisdom of man or the fake news that you can get from television or online. And so I pray, Lord, that you would cancel the man, that uh, you would anoint me with your spirit, fill me with your spirit, so that I would proclaim your truth and not lead anyone astray. I pray, Lord, you'd open hearts and minds, including my own, to receive truth from your word and then empower us to apply these truths to our lives so we could be pleasing in your sight through your power and for your glory. And Lord, uh, whether the days are good or the days are rough, may we pray, proclaim the name of, of Jesus until he returns in glory. Take his stand upon the earth and make things right. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So now we're in 2 Thessalonians and gave a little bit of a background when we started 1 Thessalonians. Of course, that was a few months back. That uh, little timeline there, remember Jesus is crucified either 30 or 33 AD. Paul gets converted about a year later, comes to Christ on the road to Damascus. And he, he goes on his first missionary journey uh, 46 to 48 AD, and um, and then uh, uh, I think he wrote the book of Galatians about 48 to 49 AD before the Jerusalem Council. It makes no sense to me that he would have written the book of Galatians after the Jerusalem Council since they ruled in his favor that Gentiles don't have to get circumcised to become believers and um, so I think he would have just, the letter after the Jerusalem Council was, would just state, see the attached Jerusalem decree, which is what he brought with him to the churches after that. Uh, but I think that was the first book that he wrote, his letter to the 
Galatians. Then he went to the Jerusalem Council and then began his second missionary journey, which lasted from 50 to 52 AD, and that's Acts 16 to 18. He recruited a young guy named Timothy, about 50 AD in Acts 16, and then Paul and Silas and Timothy went about on the missionary journey. Paul and Silas eventually end up in a Philippian jail. How about that? You can get in trouble for preaching the gospel. It used to seem so weird to me that you would lock up people who are just preaching the gospel, preaching the good news of salvation through Jesus. Well, lo and behold, uh, it's, it's coming down again. You know, you get some uh, LGP, LGBTQ plus rally going on, and a guy preaches across the street just quoting verses, not harassing anybody. And it was in Pennsylvania where he got arrested. And, um, and you got the pastors up in Canada getting arrested, and they're probably going to do some prison time. And, and, uh, but Paul and Silas ended up in a Philippian jail. You remember how that, the earthquake and the Philippian jailer uh, comes to Christ, he and his household. And then uh, shortly after that, Paul planted the Thessalonian church around 50 AD. Okay? But Paul, Timothy, and Silas had to flee from Thessalonica for Berea because of persecution there, okay? Paul had only been in Thessalonica for three weeks. I mean, look at Acts 17, 1 to 4. Acts 17, 1 to 4. By the way, if you want the notes for this, we've got them in the back. You can, you can get them now or you can listen to the message and then pick them up on the way out. But we've got the uh, the notes there because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that you won't just remember it while you're here and then forget about it. You can go back to the notes throughout uh, throughout the week and all. Um, but Acts 17 is on Paul's second missionary journey. He um, finally got, got released from the Philippian jail. And so Acts 17, 1 to 4. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis, and uh, Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. The synagogues, you know, one temple in Jerusalem back then. It's no longer standing. The Romans destroyed it in 70 AD. But there are many synagogues. And our churches were patterned after the synagogues, where they would have a rabbi, a teacher, who would explain, read and explain the Old Testament to the people. And uh, so Paul went uh, to the synagogue there of the Jews to preach Jesus. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths, so three Saturdays, reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ, is the Jewish Messiah. It was hard for them to accept the idea that Messiah would be killed, especially not in the most shameful way possible. You know, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree, it says in the Old Testament. Well, Jesus was crucified naked by the pagans. And they're like, wait, wait, the Jewish Messiah is supposed to be the ultimate Jewish king. He's not, he's supposed to be a guy of glory, not a guy of shame. Well, why was that? Well, because the Jews do what did back with the Old Testament, what we do with the New Testament today. They kind of skip over the verses they don't like, the suffering Messiah, and they focus on the passages they do like patriotic uh, conquering Messiah who conquers the pagans on behalf of the Jews. And Jesus will do that when he returns. 
because there will be a remnant of believing Jews in the last days at the end uh, of the tribulation. So Paul goes in the synagogue for three Sabbath days. He says, and some of them were persuaded, so some came to Christ. That started the Thessalonian church. And a great multitude of the devout Greeks, so even many Gentiles, so you had Jews and Gentiles getting saved, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. Then in verse 5, but the Jews who were not persuaded became envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jake, Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. And so basically what happened was the persecution was so heavy that Paul and Silas and Timothy had to flee from Thessalonica after just three weeks. Um, uh, then they went to Berea, and there when it says that the Bereans were more, no verse 11, the, were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, Paul's not talking about the Thessalonians that came to Christ. He's talking about the leaders of the synagogues there in Berea. They were willing to, to search the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying is true. So, so verse 11, these, the Bereans, were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness, with all eagerness, and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So they were open to the truth that Jesus was the Messiah. But that doesn't mean that the Thessalonians were a bunch of slimy, lousy believers. No, Paul is saying by saying the Bereans were more noble-minded than the Thessalonians. He means the Thessalonian Jewish leaders in the synagogues who refused to hear about Jesus, who rejected it. But those who did believe because they were so persecuted, Paul has nothing but good to say about them. In 1 Thessalonians, as we saw, their faith and their love and their hope in Christ, they were willing to suffer persecution. And so, uh, so keep that in mind as we read. Now, there were some misunderstandings there, okay? Uh, we'll talk about that. But keep in mind that when Paul says the Bereans were more noble-minded than the Thessalonians, he wasn't talking about the believing Thessalonians. Those people had to suffer for the gospel. Now, by the way, uh, the Thessalonian Jews came to Berea in search of Paul, and so Paul had to flee to Athens, and that's where he preached uh, on Mars Hill, Areopagus, Acts 17. And Timothy and Silas were finally reunited with Paul in Corinth in 51 AD, where, where Paul planted the church in Corinth, okay? And while in Corinth, he writes 1 Thessalonians with Timothy and Silas by his side, Remember, uh, uh, Silas is just the, um, uh, uh, that Silas is the Jewish name, and uh, Silvanus is the, uh, the Roman name for, for Silas. Um, and Silas may have even been Peter's scribe for 1 Peter, 1 and 2 Peter. 1 Peter, the Greek is superior to 2 Peter. So I think Peter had... Silvanus or Silas as a scribe for the first letter and didn't for the second letter. But whatever the case, in 51 AD, Paul writes his second letter. The first letter was Galatians, if I'm correct. Um, the second letter um, was 1 Thessalonians in 51 AD. 
And uh, and then Paul had to, you know, he sent the letter to them. You know, he got a good report from Timothy. Timothy went back to Thessalonica and said, man, these guys are tearing it up. These guys love the Lord. They're willing to suffer and die. And you've only been there three weeks, Paul. Three weeks. Three weeks. And um, so then apparently the scroll was brought back. What Paul taught them raised some more questions. And so it was kind of like the first Christian correspondence school going back and forth. And uh, so later in 51 AD, Paul writes Second Thessalonians. But I want us to think about that just for a minute. How much would we learn in three weeks? Okay, well, when I went to Marine Corps boot camp, they gave me almost three months of boot camp. And then they could stop calling me a recruit and start calling me a Marine. But then I still needed a couple months of infantry training school. And then they sent me to Bangor to guard nukes, and I needed a few weeks of studying there. Three weeks is not a long time. You know, would you, uh, would you expect somebody to be a spiritual giant if he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm 50 years old, but I accepted the Lord, trusted him for salvation when I was 20, then I went to work. I went to church for three weeks. Well, you stopped going. Yeah, I, I wasn't. You know, I mean. So Paul. I mean, after the, after Paul leaves, you know, it's a good thing he sends Timothy back to continue to disciple them a little bit. But these, these, you know, this is this is like within a year of planting the church, but three weeks. So you got to understand, you know, how much will we learn in three weeks? These these not only learned enough, but they cared enough and believed enough to be willing to suffer for Christ with just three weeks of training in biblical Christianity. Now, if you had been studied under Paul for three weeks, and by the way, a lot of people don't like to study the end-time prophecies. Paul taught them a lot about the end-time prophecies. That's what raised all the questions for them in only three weeks. You know, some pastors could preach for 60 years and never even touch on the end-time prophecies. Paul preaches to you for three Sabbath days. He's going to touch on the end time prophecies. And so they were that important. And, um, but, um, but how much would we learn in three weeks? Wouldn't we have questions? And that's what these letters are all about. I'm glad. I am glad. God works all things for good. I'm glad that he, that Paul only spent three weeks there. Okay. Because then that raised questions that he would have taught them had he stayed six months. So then we get to hear those questions and learn from them. This is the stuff Paul would have taught them had he been there longer than three weeks. I mean, if you want to hear Paul's entire presentation of the gospel, there, you just go to the book of Romans because Paul had never preached in Rome. And so he said, had I been in Rome, this is the gospel I would have preached. I hope to visit you someday. Eventually he got there in chains, arrested by the Romans. Um, but, uh, but we actually benefit from this. God worked it for good so that he, he answers their questions. A lot of their questions are about the end times, uh, with the questions also, you know, wouldn't we have questions and wouldn't we, wouldn't there be misunderstanding and confusion? You know, I, I've studied under some professors for years. And, you know, somebody said, well, what was his view on sunshine? I said, well, he, he's kind of unclear on that. I'm not really sure what he's getting at, okay? Um, 
And uh, but in just three weeks, wouldn't there be some misunderstanding and confusion, especially you're talking to people from another culture? OK, um, just give you a couple examples here. Uh, I didn't find out till later on, but my, my wife couldn't understand. I used to have a much heavier accent than I do now. And my wife couldn't understand a word that I said. And so uh, she eventually told me that I don't know what you're saying. I just smile and nod my head. Yes. And, you know, once I found that out, then, then obviously I, I proposed and the rest is history. But but um, but, uh, you know, she got me to stop saying use, you know, the plural of you in the South. It's y'all, you know, and um, I don't know. Our language is going to take a note. We're devolving. Forget about evolution. We're devolving. We lost the second person plural. So in New York and New Jersey, it's use and all. But but. I used to just mumble through my words, and she just couldn't understand me with my with my accent. So it took a while. Okay, Paul's only there for three weeks with these people. Uh, another example: I was in North Carolina for the International Society of Christian Apologetics meeting. I was there with the economist Dr. Nelson Laplante, good friend of ours, and when he's in the area, he'll swing by the church. and And so he went to a pizza place by the hotel to get something to eat, and a guy heard me placing my order. The manager. And he was like the end of the room. And um, so he was, he was, hey, you're from New York? And I said, no, no, I'm from, from Essex County, New Jersey. He said, well, where's that? I said, right across the water from New York. And so we got talking all about New York. And so then um, right after that, um, uh, the, the kid's standing there, this conversation about New York and New Jersey and all. And this kid, young kid working in the pizzeria says, uh, you like the Red Sox? And I'm like, no. Why would I like the Red Sox? I grew up, I told you, I grew up in New Jersey. I'm a Yankee fan. I hate the Red Sox. And then I, then I thought, you know what? I'm being, that's kind of mean to say I hate the Red Sox. I said, over the decades, I got to find out that Carl Yaskrimski wasn't really a bad guy. He's really a good guy. So now I'm starting to, you know, but I went into this long monologue about hating the Red Sox. And Nelson LaPlante said, I thought you were kidding. And I, I said, kidding about what? He said, he asked you if you like the red sauce. And the, the kid was wanted to just put the the red sauce on the on the pizza. And I just went, I just felt kind of, I kind of felt bad for the kid. And I said, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I'd like some red sauce. And, uh, and so, when me and Nelson left when they made our pizzas, we were going to take it back to the hotel. And I told the kid, you know, I said, hey, go Red Sox, you know. And But uh, uh, three weeks is not a long time. This kid had a little bit of a southern accent. I still got a little bit of my New Jersey accent. There wasn't a whole lot of communication going on, okay? So, but just think about that, three weeks. And so it's amazing the questions that they, they had to come up with. But, but, but it was, it was kind of like, Paul, Paul, we don't really understand everything you're saying, but we know you're saying Jesus is coming back. We know you're saying he could come back in our lifetime. We know you're saying there's going to be suffering first, and we're suffering right now. And um, so that's good enough for us, but we're kind of confused. And so Paul had to address a lot of those confusing things. I mean, they, there was a rumor going around that the day of the Lord had already occurred, and they missed the gathering to the Lord. And Paul had to tell him, no, no, guys. The apostasy, the fall away of the faith has to come first. The Antichrist has to come first. And then Jesus, at his return, 
will gather the church. And so there was a lot of confusion there, and Paul addresses that. But these, I want, what I want us to focus on, intellectually, okay, this church, they were babes in Christ intellectually. They had not learned that much. And of course, then in Timothy, they learned some more, but they still hadn't learned that much. And it's so difficult. How do you appoint elders when everybody's a baby Christian? Intellectually, they were babes in Christ, but spiritually, they were very mature. Some of us can grow up in the church and learn all about Jesus for 50, 60 years and never be willing to suffer for Christ. We can be intellectually mature. We've got a lot of head knowledge about the Bible, but Jesus doesn't really have our heart. Jesus had these guys and gals' hearts in three weeks. Okay, um, three weeks. The city of Thessalonica was one of the first cities in Europe evangelized by Paul. Remember, the, Paul had a vision of a guy uh, praying in Macedonia, so they decided to go and preach there, preach in Europe rather than go um, further in the northeast and all. And that changed the course of history. That meant the evangelization of Europe began. The uh, building, building the foundation for Western civilization. That's why so many godless people are trying to destroy America and destroy Western civilization because it was built upon the foundation of biblical Christianity. If you hate God and you hate Christianity and you hate God's people, Western civilization's got to come down. And that's what we're seeing, you know, right now when we turn on the news. Um, Philippi and Thessalonica were in the region of Macedonia. Philippi was about 100 miles away from Thessalonica. And Thessalonica was a port city and a commercial center. It was one of the wealthiest cities of the Roman Empire. Had a population of about 200,000. And it was the capital and the largest city of the region of Macedonia, above Greece. And then Paul established Thessalonica as the home base for the spread of the gospel in Macedonia and in Greece. I mean, these... These people, these baby believers, and they were tearing it up for Jesus. And, um, and so now we come to 2 Thessalonians and uh, look at the uh, first two verses there. He starts it the same way he started 1 Thessalonians. Paul, Silvanus, the Roman name for, for, for Silas, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. You know, Paul would call himself Saul if he was talking to the Jews. He's talking to the Gentiles now. He's the, the apostle to the Gentiles. And uh, so you got some Jews, but a lot of Gentiles. So Paul called himself Paul. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So two of the three persons of the Trinity mentioned there. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the letter, like First Thessalonians, is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And uh, it's to the church, the ecclesia, called out assembly of Thessalonica. Remember, when we moved into this building, we really emphasized this building is not our church. We are the church. The church is the called out assembly. Now, a local church is people that assemble supposedly to worship Jesus and to pray to him and to fellowship with Christians and receive instruction in the word. And, um, but in a local church... Not every is possible. Not everybody 
is saved. It's possible that there's a few people here who have never really trusted in Jesus for salvation from the heart, okay? So um, so keep that in mind. In the local assembly, hopefully everybody believes, but, you know, especially when you get a church of like 5,000 people where you got 4,900 strangers and only 100 people who know each other. Um, you could have a, you know, you could have a big chunk of the people who aren't really saved. But the universal assembly, the universal church, the ecclesia, the called out assembly, that's all true believers. Okay. And uh, praise God, we're part of the remnant in America, but but we're not the only the remnant in Kitsap County is not just us. There are other churches right now. There are pastors right now that are preaching biblical truth to their people in Kitsap County, and their people are saying, amen, so be it. And so there's, there's a strong remnant in Kitsap County throughout Washington and throughout America and throughout the world. And, um, and we got to come together. We're, we've been called out of the world we got to start loving each other because uh, we can't be, can't be as, as picky about who our friends are as we used to be, okay? Things are getting, getting pretty hot in the kitchen. So he writes to the called-out assembly of Thessalonica, and he says, grace and peace to you. Remember, Paul's the apostle to the Gentiles. He said, in the church, there's neither, Greek, there's neither um, Jew nor Gentile. In other words, we're all brothers in Christ. There's no second-class Christians in the church, okay? Um, we're all one in the church. It doesn't mean that God doesn't have a future for the nation of Israel. There'll be a remnant of, of Israel saved in the last days and all, but Jews and Gentiles are one in Jesus. Don't allow people to draw a wedge between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, Okay? And, um, um, you know, that's like the Jacob's children, the ones that were sons of Leah, the wife he didn't love, or sons of the slave girls, the concubines. They were kind of considered second class. And Joseph and Benjamin were considered first class by Jacob. And that was just plain wrong. Just plain wrong. Jacob even gave the double blessing, the blessing of the firstborn. Instead of blessing Joseph, he blesses two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Gave the double blessing. You're the promised one. No, he's not. Judah, the fourth son of Leah, the wife you didn't want to marry. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. As far as God's concerned, he got the blessing. But don't ever view people to be second-class Christians in the church, okay? Um, we're all indwelt by the Holy Spirit. If we're believers, we're all born again. And, um, but Paul's the apostle of the Gentiles, and he wants it to be one church, but he knows his ministry is primarily to the Gentiles. The Judaizers would act like if the Gentiles don't get circumcised, um, they're not even saved. Well, that's, that's a cult. That's false a false gospel. But then there's also the, the weaker brethren that say, well, no, a Gentile can be saved without getting circumcised and without obeying the feast days and all, but they're kind of a second-class Christian. That's also false teaching, 
but at least it doesn't mess with salvation by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. But Paul, by saying grace, grace, the word in the Greek is charis. That was the Greek blessing. You know, I hear people say, hey, hello. You know, I have to watch it. We get international students who know very little English. They learn English as they go along. Brilliant kids. And I say, hey, how you doing? They have no idea what that means. So I have to try to remind myself, just, just say hello to them. They know what hello means. I say, hey, how you doing? And in some of their cultures, are, they really respect authority. So they'll be walking down the hall, a couple kids from Japan. I'll say, hey, how you doing? And they'll put their head down because they, they hear my voice and they think maybe, maybe the guy's yelling at me. I don't know what he said. We usually say, hello, how you doing? Okay. Um, and it's how they used to say howdy or something weird like that. And um, uh, the Greeks would say charis. May favor and blessings be upon you. That was the Greek blessing. Paul takes that, and then he takes the Greek word, irene, for peace, because for the Jews, it was the Hebrew word for peace, shalom. I wish peace upon you. And that's a big deal, too, because especially when people are suffering. Look at 2 Thessalonians 3.16. 2 Thessalonians 3.16, when Paul's giving the benediction, he's closing this letter. Uh, he says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. Okay? What a blessing to wish peace upon people. I wish I had peace, you know what I'm saying? I got peace with God, and I try to have peace with fellow man, but not everybody cooperates. Paul says, if possible, Romans 12, if possible, so long as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. But sometimes people don't want to be at peace. And, um, and then peace with myself, peace with yourself. We all struggle with, with stress and anxiety, God says, no, don't stress. Turn it over to me. But um, we need to do that more. Wish, wish, wish grace, God's grace, God's favor upon people, especially fellow believers in God's peace. And I don't, know, I don't know what to do. I just tell everybody, God bless you. And then when COVID happened, I started saying, God bless you and be safe. Not because I was afraid of COVID, but because I was afraid, afraid of the way the government was dealing with COVID and now the way the government deals with us. So God bless you and be safe from the government. I don't tell people that part. They'll think I'm a conspiracy nut because that's what CNN would call me. And um, But um, God bless you and be safe. And uh, the people know you love them and you care, but especially, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. But he wishes this grace and this peace upon them from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So two of the three persons of the Trinity are mentioned. Paul mentions throughout his writings the Holy Spirit as well. Some of his greetings and benedictions contain all, all three persons of the Trinity. But the one true God exists throughout all eternity as three equal persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is our Father. We should know that. Jesus taught us, hey, look, this, here's the pattern for prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy be the name of God. God is our Father. Um, 
you know, he was our father and that he created all of us. So there's a sense where he's everybody's father. But guess what? That's not good enough because you're still going to hell without Jesus. So you, got, you want God to not only be your father through creation, but you want God to also be your father through redemption, through salvation. So we, we were brothers and sisters even before we got saved just because we're fellow human beings, okay? But then when we come to Christ, now we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and God is our Father. You're not going to see that kind of that kind of talk about God in the Quran. Allah. Oh, he just he just everything is out of fear. Yeah, and you know, fear of the Lord's beginning of knowledge, but then we grow into a personal love, trust relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. But God is our Father. There's passages in the scriptures. He's a father to the fatherless. I woke up this morning. You know, I, I used to never cry back in Jersey. And then I asked, said a prayer as a new believer. Down the block from here, said a little prayer that um, God was chip away at my pride. And, uh, and I started weeping like a baby. And I've, I've kind of been weeping ever since. And I don't want to weep. I mean, it's kind of embarrassing to weep in front of people. but. Um, but, but God is our father and he's the father to the fatherless. This morning I, I woke up and I turned on Fox and friends just to see if I could hear a little bit about the news and stuff. And, uh, and they had a little special boy who was an orphan in I think in China and his parents got rid of him. So he was just on the streets and. And uh, so this American couple adopted him, and now he's going to different, uh, different uh, baseball stadiums, professional baseball stadiums, throwing out the first pitch. And he wears a cape. He throws better than me, but I got rotator cuff damage. I can't throw a, a ball. But, uh, but the parents letting him know that he's loved and stuff like that. What about the, what about the kids who are still on the street? And nobody's adopted them. Okay. What about people? Maybe people, maybe some people in this church. And other people, and they feel lonely. They feel alone. They feel like nobody's there for them. They feel like a spiritual orphan. If you come to Christ, God is our Father. He's the Father to the fatherless. Is the father to the orphan. My heart goes out for orphans because I had the best dad in the world, the best dad you could possibly have, Joe Fernandez, oldest son of Portuguese immigrants, born in 1920. And um, I tell, when I speak in prisons, I tell guys the difference between me and you. You know, I, you got caught. I didn't. And then number two, because I, I didn't get saved until I was 21. And then uh, number two, it's a good chance you didn't have a father in the home. I had the best father in the world. So why should I look down on those guys? Well, if you're alone, you're hurting. You got to remember, if you're trusting Jesus for salvation, God is your father. Jesus used to call God Abba, 
daddy, something very similar to daddy. And uh, um, and now, because Jesus was the son of God by nature, because of who he is, we're sons and daughters of God by adoption through Jesus. And um, it's like that. I give that illustration all, all the time. But John F. Kennedy and the Oval Office, there was a film of him and these really wealthy, I don't know if they're business leaders or political leaders, but they were wearing real expensive suits. They had a stack of security badges because they had to get by the world's uh, greatest security to get in the Oval Office with, with John F. Kennedy. He's real relaxed. He's got a guy that had charisma. And, uh, and they're real nervous. They're real stiff. They're moving real stiff and faking a smile, but they're really terrified to be in the presence of possibly the most powerful guy on the planet Earth at that point. And, but when the camera panned back, you saw there was another guy in the room, and the guy wasn't well-dressed. In fact, he wasn't even wearing a shirt. He was wearing overalls. No security badges, so he got past the world's best security. They just let him go right by. And he wasn't nervous because he was playing with a toy truck. And his little John John. And, uh, and that's the way Jesus talked about God the Father. You could say to the nation of Israel, he's your father, but he's my Abba. Okay? After we get saved, we can call God our Abba, Father. So if you weren't appropriately dressed and... You crawled by with John John, the world's best security. They probably would let him, let them both go and have access into the president's office. That's the kind of access we have to God. He, he is. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is the creator of the universe, okay? But he's also our savior. And he's our father. You know, and I, I had a lot of good talks with my dad, especially as uh, he got older and uh, a lot of good memories. And boy, he died in 2009. And uh, sometimes I just kind of wish, boy, wish I could just sit down and talk with him. But you, you can't until Jesus returns and... Um, after I get done hugging Jesus, uh, assuming I'm allowed to, then I can move on and look for Joe Fernandez. And uh, God's our father. And then you might say, okay, come on, Pastor Phil. Yeah, God's our father. How many times are you going to tell it, say it to us, okay? And this and that. Let me tell you, if you're in a prison cell 10 years from now for preaching Jesus, you're going to be so happy that you know God is our father. We often don't, don't, we don't appreciate stuff when we have it. When it's gone, then you appreciate it. So um, we got all this freedom and all these blessings, all this prosperity here in America. And so, yeah, God, God's my father. No big deal. Well, you, that gets all taken from you. You get thrown in solitary confinement in a prison camp. Um, you can praise God. But he's not only the creator, but he's your father. And, uh, and uh, so he's, Paul says, you know, God our father, 
that these blessings, grace and peace from God our Father and, for, and then from the Lord Jesus Christ. By calling Jesus the Christ, that means that Jesus is Jewish Messiah, the ultimate king of Israel who will return in the last days to rescue Israel from her enemies. Just read Zechariah 14, verses 1 to 5. Okay? And that's when Romans eleven twenty-five to 27, all Israel, the hardening of the hearts gets removed and all Israel gets saved. They cry out to the Lord and then the deliverer comes. Okay? It's the final domino to fall that will usher in the second coming of Jesus Christ to the planet Earth. And uh, so when Jesus is called the Christ, that means he's the Jewish Messiah, okay? The ultimate Jewish king. That's why the Jews had a hard time. He, he was nailed naked to the cross. That's the most shameful way to die. Yeah, well, he was taking our shame. And we were naked in the garden. And we messed it up. We went to the wrong tree, Okay? knowingly, and so Jesus was nailed to a tree, and there's thorns, there's so many things that went on in the garden, that went on at the cross. And, uh, but Jesus is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, but he's also Lord, the Lord, the, Hakorios, the Lord, not a Lord, okay? And this is really sad, it's ignored by many pastors today due to higher criticism, what's called historical criticism of the scriptures, uh, the, the, the Germans were always, Germans always led the way in thought, and then Europe followed them, and then America followed. And so when, when Germany was going downhill and rejecting Christ, by the way, that's what caused the vacuum that was filled by the Nazis. When the leadership of the German church started to embrace higher criticism, historical criticism of the scriptures. And so now we have a lot of pastors acting like uh, the only ways Jesus claimed to be God were like, they, it's like pastors are, are programmed to think the gospel of John's not that important. No, it was written by the apostle John. The early church fathers told us that. He rested his head on Jesus' shoulder, okay? But they'll act like gospel of John's not that important. And so the only time Jesus claimed to be God, he did it in a very veiled, vague way and all. Let me tell you, every time Jesus accepted the title, Koryos, in the New Testament, that was the most likely way in the Greek Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, uh, 200 years before Christ walked the earth, Yahweh, the most likely way to translate it was Koryos. And so in a religious context, when Jesus is called Hakorios, the Lord, in a religious context in the New Testament, which, by the way, is almost all the time, um, he's being called Yahweh. John Warwick Montgomery, as a young theologian, young Lutheran theologian, he discovered this. He was onto this in 1963. Unfortunately, he wrote a letter to C.S. Lewis asking him about it right before Lewis died. And Lewis, God bless him, but C.S. Lewis told him, yeah, but don't make too much out of this because sometimes the word Lord just means the human master. Yeah, well, that's true, okay? But, you know, if the landlord, whoever we're paying the lease to, is, would be, was here today, I wouldn't be calling him the Lord from the pulpit, okay? And, um, and you know, Jesus said, um, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Why would people on the judgment day call Jesus Lord? Okay? 
And uh, Jesus knew. He's like, hey, yeah, you're calling me Lord. That's good. But if I'm really your Lord, if I'm really Yahweh, you better do what I say. But I want to look at just Romans 10, uh, 9 to 13. Just to give you an example of this, Romans 10, 9 to 13. Paul says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, by the way, the Lord Jesus, in the Greek, that's also Jesus is Lord. It's really weird with the Greek language, but if you say the Lord Jesus, you're saying Jesus is Lord. Now, back then, you were supposed to say Caesar is Lord, or they couldn't execute you. You're supposed to say Caesar is Lord and burn incense to the uh, Roman pagan gods Otherwise, you were opposed to the Pax Romanus, the peace of Rome. And, um, uh, and but the Christians would say, no. The Jews would say, no, Caesar isn't Lord. Yahweh is Lord. The Christians would say, Caesar isn't Lord. Jesus is Lord. Okay? So you confess with your mouth, Jesus, Jesus is Lord, or the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, people might say, well, maybe the Lord Jesus there just means like, Kind of a Lord, but not God. Okay, we'll go on further. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over, he's talking about Jesus, the Lord Jesus, Jesus is Lord, the same Lord, uh, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him, for, and then he quotes from Joel 2, verse 32, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay? Well, if you go to Joel 2, 32, which we don't have time to do, the Lord is all capital letters. And our translations will tell us whenever you see the Lord with all capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, they're translating Yahweh, the I am who I am who spoke to Moses from the burning bush, okay? So in a religious context, when you're saying, look, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, you're calling Jesus Yahweh, okay? And most of the time when Jesus was called Lord in the Gospels and in the New Testament, uh, Jesus is really, they're referring to him as Yahweh, okay? And uh, so a lot of, a lot of, Gentiles like ourselves will say, well, I wish Jesus was called God more. Well, he is called God in different places, like, you know, John 1, 1, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This, uh, you know, he's called our great God and Savior in Titus 2.13. Um, but more than that, he's called the Lord. You got to understand, though, in the Old Testament, even false gods could be called gods, could be called Elohim but only the one true God could be called Yahweh. So, I mean, if, if, if you want to question something, you say, well, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, why isn't the Father called Lord? That's the way we ought to think if we were coming at it from the Jewish mindset. Yahweh holds more with the Lord our God as one. You look at all the different Elohim, all the different gods, they're basically just finite, limited created beings, fallen angels, leading mankind astray, the false gods. But there's one, only one infinite God, and his name is Yahweh. 
the I am who I am, spoke to Moses from the burning bush. And I could say, I am because. I am because Joe Fernandez and Angelina Minichino got together, had a baby boy, named him Phil. I am because God created the whole universe and he created Adam from the dust of the ground, Eve from his side, and then through procreation, eventually, I'm Joe and Angie's little boy. I am because there's enough air for me to breathe. I am because there's enough food for me to eat. There's lots of reasons why I am. You turn to Jesus, I am who I am. I am pure, infinite, eternal existence. Um, like you say, before Abraham was born, before Abraham was generated, I am. If Jesus said before Abraham was generated, I was, that would imply that Jesus was generated in his divine nature. But by saying I am, he was just like, no, I was never generated. So I agree with Ignatius, the early church father who was martyred in 107 AD, the bishop of Antioch of Syria, a church that Paul had gone to just 30, Paul and uh, Barnabas had gone just 35 years earlier. And um, but he referred to Jesus as uh, both begotten and not begotten. So... He was begotten as a man in the womb of Mary, a uh, human nature, but he was never begotten as God. So I don't hold to that eternal generation of the Father and uh, the Son, the uh, uh, eternally begotten, that um, uh, origin started, kicked that off, that particular doctrine. Now, the, 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 those who hold to it, you know, usually solid Christians, I just think they get it wrong. Um, and so whatever the case, so by calling Jesus the Lord, he's letting you know. Christ, let me tell you, there is no, I'm going I'm to repeat this too, there is no Christianity when Jesus is not worshipped. Okay? There is no Christianity when Jesus is not worshipped. So Jehovah's Witnesses are not our brothers. They think Jesus is a lesser God, the first thing God created. That's baloney. The Mormons are not our brothers and sisters in the Lord. They think Jesus was just a man who progressed to godhood on a planet. He became a god, but there's many gods who are gods who are men on planets that progressed earlier than he did. He's just one of many gods. Mormon males can become gods someday. No. No. But where Jesus is not worshipped as God the Son, there is no Christianity. You've got to worship Jesus. Uh, that's why Paul says it's, it's essential to salvation. Jesus is Lord. In the fullest sense of the word Lord, he is Yahweh. He is God, the second person uh, of the Trinity. Now, verses 3 and 4 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'll read that, and we'll just talk about it just a little and save it for next week, but so after the greeting, he says, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren. But when's the last time you thank God for your brothers and sisters in Christ? He only knew these people for three weeks. And he, without fail, every day he's thanking God for them. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly. 
How would he know their faith is growing exceedingly? I mean, he got reports from Timothy and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other so that we ourselves boast of you. So they, they brag about their faith and their love. So that we boast, we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Now, I'll just introduce this topic, but we'll pick it up there next week. But Paul and his colleagues always prayed for the Thessalonian believers. They were thankful for them due to their growing faith and abounding love. We're going to see next week why that's so important. You know, when we try to obey God in our own strength by obeying the law before we get saved, we fall short. And the law shows us, you know, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So the, that's uh, Romans 3.20. Galatians 3.24, the law is a substitute teacher to lead us to Christ. It shows us, here's God's holy standards. You can't keep them. Here's your sinfulness. Uh, you need a Savior. Okay. So the law leads us to Christ. So then a lot of us get saved and we think, okay, now that I'm saved, I need to start obeying God's laws in my own power. No, the law is going to do what, it's, what it was intent to do, intended to do. It's going to smack you down again. Obedience is not trying, as a Christian, trying to obey God in your own power, but it's faith and love in action. Trusting in the Lord Jesus for guidance and power, and loving God with everything you got, loving your neighbor as yourself, that's the spirit of the law, okay? But their faith, the Thessalonians, their faith was growing due to persecution. So, you know, when you got faith and love, love for the brethren, and you continue, you don't give up on your faith, even though you're being persecuted for it, and the persecution will stop if you just reject Christ, that's evidence that your faith is growing, Okay? Um, their faith was being tested. I have to say, as your pastor, to be honest with you, our faith is yet to be tested. Our faith just gets tested a little bit here, a little bit there. But the fires of persecution and testing are about to come upon the American church. Okay? So, I mean, if Paul were alive today, you know, he might not be thanking God for us yet. He's like, well, they haven't been tested yet. The Thessalonians, they were tested. Their faith was being tested. And so we, we prove our faith by our love for the brethren and by our enduring persecution and trials. And so Paul brags about their patience, faith, and love. We'll take a closer look at that. And then Paul, he commends them for their faith and love in Christ in verses 3 and 4. And then he comforts them during their trials in verses 5 to 10. And so we're going to close right there, and, uh, and then we'll pick it up there next week. So if you'd bow your heads, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we thank you, Lord, uh, for your word. And we thank you that the Thessalonians, the believers, were willing to suffer for the cause of the gospel. And they loved one another, and they refused to give up on their faith, their trust in Jesus for salvation, despite persecution. I pray, Lord, that we would be able to follow that example. And, Lord, your word shows us that true saving faith 
includes acknowledging that God is our Father and that Jesus is God the Son. That true saving faith, we need to worship Jesus. And so I pray, Lord, as, as suffering comes to the American church, a church that has been spoiled for so long, blessed by you, and, and even, you know, uh, applauded by the governments and the schools for so long, but now those days are long gone. So as we suffer, Lord, remind us that unlike non-believers, when believers suffer, and we do suffer, and we will suffer, but when we suffer, we don't suffer alone. Because God is our Father, and the Lord Jesus, he is there with us, he loves us. And the Holy Spirit empowers us. So I pray, Lord, that you would give us the faith and the love for the brethren and the love for you to endure the trials uh, that are just, just beyond the horizon. We pray, Lord, that we could be all you call us to be until that day when your son, King Jesus, takes his stand upon the earth to make things right. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. All right, God.